0: So here's the question. If yeshivas were to abolish 12th grade, and if girls were to stay in high school for one extra year till 13th grade, would that potentially solve the Shidduch crisis? I know it sounds radical, but it actually may be mathematically the miracle solution to the Shidduch crisis and to the age gap that we've been waiting for. Welcome to the VIN News Podcast. My name is Yaakov M. Send me an email, josh at com. josh at v i n news.com and welcome to part two of our series on the shit crisis today we focus on the age gap theory and as i said some radical ideas to help solve it plus we will also tell you about the from bakery in new jersey that that got boycotted by certain jewish groups certain non-from jewish groups after the bakery refused to bake a cake decorated with rainbow colors to celebrate pride month obviously the bakery did the right thing both morally both from a from perspective and legally because the courts have ruled that it is perfectly legal so it's disgraceful but this situation is only getting worse the immoral community i'll call it that euphemistically the immoral community is infiltrating infiltrating our schools our schools and now our businesses and if we do not take action if we do not figure out a way to not allow them to prevent them from infiltrating and really take a very strong stand if we don't do that then the situation could get ugly. All right, so a representative of Nasi appeared on David Lichtenstein's Halacha Headlines podcast. He was discussing the Shiloh crisis. We're going to play you, this was with Yitzhak Reichman, and we will play you specific clips, very, very fascinating clips of that interview coming up. This story has lately, look, it's always in the news, it's always in the headlines. Unfortunately, it's not a good situation. In many cases, in some cases, it's a tragic situation. It can be heartbreaking. In other cases, Obviously, people are matzliach and are successful, but overall, the shidduch crisis is obviously an area that is very, very damaging, you know, disturbing. A lot of people suffer. And lately, the Rosh Yeshiva are considering, it's been in the news, they're considering a dramatic move where, according to reports, this is not confirmed, but it seems that they want to eliminate one year of yeshiva from boys, possibly 12th grade, possibly a base medrash year. Send the boys a year earlier to Royal in order for them to come back and start dating a year earlier. They want to keep girls in high school a year longer. That would close the age gap considerably. So we're going to explain why, what is the age gap? Why, it, it, how is it the cause of the Shidduch crisis? Why are there more? It seems there are more girls than boys, at least anecdotally. And we'll play you clips of Ravitza number one, explaining the, his basis and Nussie's basis. They are the North American Shidduch Initiative. Uh, their evidence to suggest that the age gap is the cause of the Shidduch crisis, that there are in fact more girls at any one time in the dating pool than boys. He also talks about the liquid freezer. He talks about the numbers and the mathematics. People have a lot of theories. People say maybe the tro- maybe the boys and girls are too picky. Maybe one is too picky. Maybe the other's too picky. Maybe they're both too picky. Maybe there's something wrong with our chinuch, where they don't have the right hashgufas, or you know maybe people are too locked into one hashgufa, not open-minded enough. I'm just throwing out suggestions that have been made. Maybe boys have too much leverage because they say yes before the girls are even offered the shidduch, before the girls are at the shidduch. So maybe the boys it's 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 unfairly weighted in favor of the boys. Boys don't want to date out-of-town girls, maybe. Uh, uh, They're more resistant, right? Here's why none of those reasons, the reasons that I just suggested do not make sense because the question always remains, if you go with the presumption that there are more girls unmarried than boys, then... The question is, none of those explanations make sense. If you're going to come up with too picky, or boys have more leverage, or some other reason, it, then bottom line, there should be an equal number. This is what it always comes down to, to me, mathematically. It, with the assumption is that, on average, roughly the same amount of boys and girls are born every single year. Maybe it can vary a little, but statistically, it's insignificant. Statistically, the same number of boys and girls are born to any given Haredi Yeshiva family. If that is true, then if you're going to tell me that, well, girls are too picky, well, then there should be an equal number of unmarried girls as there are boys. Now, maybe you'll go with that presumption, but it certainly does not seem that way anecdotally, and we'll play you, Rev. Yitzhak Reichman, telling you the evidence, the the actual data that suggests that there are more unmarried girls than boys. If there are more unmarried girls, let's say girls are too picky, well, then that means that for every girl that's not married, there should be a boy that's not married, so it should roughly be the same number. But it seems, at least according to most people, it certainly seems that there are more unmarried girls than boys. And that's why it has to be a mathematical reason, not a hashkafor reason, not a pickiness reason, not because of being out of town, not because of the shidduch process, but it's simply a numbers game where there are more girls than boys, and that comes down to the age gap. So what is the age gap theory? In a nutshell, you've heard me discuss this before. It says that in a dating pool, there are going to be more girls than boys if you have older boys dating younger girls. So, for example, and we're not going to get into the weeds, but for example, if you have on average 23-year-old boys who are dating 20-year-old girls or 21 or 19-year-old girls, you'll have more girls in that pool than boys. Why is that? Well, again... To put it as simply as possible, the assumption is that there's population growth, that there are more boys, there are more children being born every year and every generation than the previous generation because families expand. Families have more than two children. So, you know, on average, on average from, from families, some have five children, six children, three children, seven children, it, it, it can vary, obviously. So the assumption is that in the year 2020, there are not going to be as many children, there are more children than they were born in the year 2015 in the Haredi world, but not as many as the year 2025. Every year it gets a little bit more because there's population growth, right? So just as an example, if there are, and just, this, I'm just using these numbers to keep it simple, if there are 123-year-old uh, boys right now entering the dating pool how many dating girls will there be if they're age 20 or 21? Well, if every year, the assumption is about the same amount of boys and girls are born every year. So the, the, the 23 year old boys and girls right now, let's say there's 100 boys and 100 girls. Okay, 22-year-old, that's the following year. So let's say there's 120 boys and 120 girls on average. Is using numbers here. Uh, in 21-year-old, there's 130 or 140 boys and 140 girls, right? So the idea is that if there's 123-year-old boys in the Haredi community right now, then there's going to be about 120. Again, I'm not using exact statistics and ratios, but there's going to be about 120 girls in the dating pool, because they're younger, they're age 20 or 21. So every year there are a few more children born than the year before. But when you get to the numbers we're dealing with right now, those numbers add up. So that's the, in a nutshell, that's the idea of the age gap theory, is if if you have boys dating the same age girls as them, roughly, then you'll roughly have the same number of boys and girls in the dating pool, but because of population growth, there are going to be more... 20 year old girls, then there are 23 year old boys. So if boys are dating younger girls, then that is the trend. Again, it's closed. The gap has closed a lot. Very much in part, you know, or very large part thanks to programs like Nussie. And maybe Nussie is probably the main driver of the change. It used to be maybe unheard of for a boy to date a girl older or the same age. And now it's far more common. But again, the trend is still 22, 23 year old boys going out with 19 and 20 and 21 year old girls. So then there remains an age gap. All right, so let me play you some clips here of Rabbi Reichman, of Rabbi Yitzhak Reichman, speaking with David Lichtenstein. The first clip, he just asked him very simply, how do you know that there is a shidduch crisis? So listen to this clip.
1: How do you know there is a shidduch crisis? So we'll start with anecdotal um, evidence. That's definitely how things start. I know people who uh, dated for years, it took them, you know, a very long time to find this ebook. Um, I still know people, you know, my wife has friends who... Are still still looking and uh so there's always the anecdotal stories that that's really what gives you the connection and when you start hearing so many of them you start thinking this is a crisis but to really you know assess it numerically there were a number of surveys that we tried to do um definitely speaking to shahanim who always said that you know they don't know what to do with the number of girls that they have they just don't have enough voice for them at a certain point and uh and then you know trying to As much as we could, with the resources we had, try to quantify the problem. How many single girls we compiled lists um, in the in our community, and trying to make lists. It's not we did not reach the gold standard, which would be a real randomized study of uh, you know picking random classes, let's say, and chasing them 10, 15 years later, seeing where everyone is. But um, the all the people we speak to, which is basically any Shadchan who you ever heard of <laughs> in America, um, have all confirmed that this is their experience. And the amount of surveys that we were able to do to quantify it all seem to support that.
0: Okay, so very, very interesting answer there. Very honest, straightforward answer. And look, anecdotally, like he said, anyone you speak to, any Shadchan you speak to, this is the experience that there are older, unmarried girls, older, single girls, and there is a study, I believe, a very widespread study that's being conducted now. And I'm told in a few months they will have results of that study. So that will potentially confirm, you know, the anecdotal and the evidence that they have right now statistically. It'll conf- either confirm it or contradict it. We'll have to wait and see. But certainly that is, if you ask any average person in the Haredi community, about the crisis they will define it this way i believe or at least most people do i don't want to overgeneralize uh the next question uh, he was asked very point blank by by david lichtenstein was asked are there numerically enough men in the community uh to marry every single eligible or available woman any unmarried woman and they were talking about older women in their 40s and their 50s so listen to this clip is there a percentage
1: of girls that will of women that will never get married because there's just a shortage of boys So, you know, that's a prediction that we don't want to make. It's not a prediction um, I mean, you know, yeah. if there are girls in their, in their 50s We could assume that they're not gonna have kids anymore. I mean do we do we see that? Yes, so there definitely are women um, Who are already reaching middle age who there are not enough not married never married men in the community for them That is a fact many of them you know, either try to find out the community, which Baruch Hashem does happen sometimes, you know, also we have to think about the knock-on effects on those other communities, but, but at least from our perspective, let's say, you know, if a, a young woman is already reaching, let's say 10 years into in our world and hasn't found anyone and then goes outside and finds someone from a different community, that you know, that's great, because that does happen sometimes. Um, and also there's the Zivik you know, you know, the, definitely are in situations where no one's looking to be a Zivik Shaini to start with, um, but sometimes that's what happens. So in, in terms of, you know, Ziva Grecian within our community, the numbers do make it very difficult for everyone to find a match. It's pretty, pretty, basically mathematically not possible, unfortunately, given, given the situation. But, but we do hope everyone will find someone. If, you know, if not, if not, if not, if not within our community, then outside, hopefully a person who's from and, and then be a good husband and, uh, or find someone who's been previously married.
0: Okay, so there you have it. I mean, speaking pretty categorically, and again, pretty bluntly, very, very interesting clip there of Rabbi Achman And the final clip, and then we'll get to some more analysis here, of Rabbi Achman on the podcast with David Lichtenstein, he asked him about the Lakewood freezer and whether abolishing the freezer would be a potential solution or not.
1: Listen to this very fascinating clip. I've heard many people who have daughters who are struggling um, voice anger at the yeshiva system and the quote-unquote freezer. And they said, what right do they have to make a freezer if because of that there are going to be uh, girls who basically become agunas? Um, what's your feeling about that? So the freezer itself is three months. Of course, you know, lowering gaps by three months on average would be helpful. It's not a solution. The, the solution, you know, we're dealing with three or four-year gaps sometimes. The solution is going to have to be bigger than that. The, the freezer in and of itself is here for the of the, the boys themselves at the Rosh Hashiva felt, and most of the boys in BMG you know, accept this. That's why the freezer works, that it's better for their own learning, for their own, even for the Shadochim, really, to take a few months when they come back to get into learning and to have a good foundation, and they'll be in a much better place They'll be ready, you know, to, to, to be icing a from a stronger, stronger place. You know, whenever this issue of, hey, let's cut out the freezer and gain three months, it's been coming up many, many times. Whenever it's been discussed, you know, really, the answer has always been that it's not really a solution. we need to think bigger than that and, so, and also and also let the, the boys could come earlier like they could come earlier and have a freezer like the, the freezer is built in it's for their own benefit and um they can come earlier to theagevaya and um and and have a freezer and be much more in their learning and in their sugar.
0: So as I said, very, very interesting answer there. And look, what I alluded to earlier is there are a group of Rosh Yeshiva, Rav Mataldik, Rav Salmovitz, a bunch of Rosh Yeshiva uh, who have gone to Rav Moshe Hillel Hirsch, Shlita in Yisrael, to discuss with him the idea of changing the structure, changing the structure of the Yeshiva system. So again, these are based on reports that I've seen, but they, I've seen them in many, many places. It does strike me as being, although not confirmed, accurate, which is that they want to either eliminate the 12th grade for boys so that boys graduate a year early, go to a year earlier, start dating a year earlier, possibly adding a 13th grade for girls in high school, and then presumably they'd go to seminary after that, and uh, then that would drive it much closer where you'd have boys starting to date at age 21 and 22 and girls perhaps not dating until age 21 to 22. That could be, if numerically speaking, a great solution, but then it comes with all sorts of other questions. So here are the questions that are just being brought up. And again, I don't know the answers, and maybe nobody knows the answers, and this is why they're going to ask the Gurdel Hadorah reverse. But the question then becomes, you know, what is the personal responsibility when you talk about boys' families? If a boy doesn't want to start dating, uh, is it his achrayas? Maybe he should start dating. Maybe anyway he has a mitzvah to start, to, you know, to get married once he hits age 18, 19, or 20 years old. Uh, what about seminary? Are girls going to potentially skip seminary? Let's say they add a, a year to high school. Would that make it more likely that some girls will say, you know what? Uh, I spent the year, an extra year out of high school. I don't want to go to seminary. I want to start my life a year earlier. Um, is it incumbent upon boys to start dating at the same time? If a boy wants to wait, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not ready to date. Or maybe there's a certain acharyas that one has to the claw. You know, in other words, you can change the structure around the yeshiva system. Some boys will probably be thrilled and embrace it and say, I want to date earlier. How common will that be, and is that something? Do they need to ask a shayla to das Torah, or listen? I'm not ready. Not a good idea. Could there potentially, if boys are not ready, you know, could that lead to certain issues if they're marrying before they're ready to get married, or will it kind of just happen where they'll just adjust? You know, all right, you, you know, you're not getting married until you're 22 to 23, so you wait till then to mature and become more of an adult. Or listen, now I'm getting married earlier. Like in other words, maybe if boys didn't get married till age 27, and I heard Rosh Hashiva say this, or really a Vogel said this at one point. He said in Eretz Yisrael. Boys tend to get married younger than in America. They're mature, they're ready. You know, or the ones who are not mature won't be mature in they 25 either. It's kind of like you adapt to the circumstances, not the other. There's no uh, like an objective age where you're either ready or, or you're not. And you're at the maturity level or you're not. Um, what about the loss of just a practical matter, the loss of tuition money? Will yeshivas, if they, uh, knock a year off of yeshivas in America, will they lose a year of tuition money? Will that affect their budgets and their finances? I don't know. Or maybe not. Maybe however many years you have the budget kind of works itself out. What about like 12th grade Rebame? Like if they literally get rid of a year, and I don't mean 12th grade, whatever year they get rid of, but right now there's a system where I think on average it's about seven years, where uh, your typical Haredi Yeshiv in America, four years of high school, and then, or some people make 12th grade into a base medrash, but either way, four years and then three years. And then after 30 percent medrash to go to as well. this is going to turn it into a six-year program. So doesn't that mean that there's a shear that's going to be knocked out? Isn't that a bunch of urbayim who then will not have a shear? I'm just wondering, or maybe there is some kind of other solution. Maybe there are some yeshivas where the Rebbe, uh, the magachir, does two years, so he can knock that down to one. What about enforcing this? Are they going to, like, actually, I don't want to say force yeshivas, but are they going to tell yeshivas this is something you need to do? Is this How systemic... Can you make the solution where let's say Rav Moshe Hillel and these Rosh Yeshiva, now these are very influential Rosh Yeshiva and the Yeshivas are large, so maybe everyone would kind of have to follow their lead. Maybe that's the idea. But in other words, if there's a Yeshiva that says, I don't want to do this, so then that Yeshiva will kind of be an outlier. Now maybe it doesn't matter because maybe there'll be enough Yeshivas that'll follow it that it'll still accomplish mostly the results you're trying to accomplish. But is this something that, you know, they're going to actually, the the, the G'daylam will come out, and say this is something that every yeshiva is encouraged to follow. Will it just be more on a voluntary basis? So I'm curious about that. What about data? And this has been an issue, Rachman alluded to it in his clip. And look, it occurred to me, and I mentioned this before, that there are Xeras there are Takanas Drabanan. I don't know that they always had data. There They think they did Mishim Tikana Takanas that were made, I'm talking about in the times of the tannaim in the times of the Antichoknesus HaGedailah, where they would make Takanas for the Kal, they would see that there were issues that, ro- that, that arose, issues that were causing problems. You know, the example that I gave is Pinyin Shvuyim, where are you allowed to overpay? There was a takana that you, you can't overpay a ransom if, if somebody, al is kidnapped and they charge the kidnappers charge an exorbitant ransom that could uh, paying that ransom. It is a very complicated child. I'm not telling you any halacha. Hopefully it should never be a gay or al But uh, it seems that there's a halacha that you can't overpay an exorbitant amount because then that'll actually lead to more kidnappings and it'll do more harm than good. Now, was that based on data? Chazal understood intuitively. They looked around anecdotally. You know, I don't think that they conducted a study. But it's just interesting. They're going to make this – You know, there are those out there who question. Maybe the numbers for some reason are wrong. Maybe there are the same amount of boys and girls in the dating pool for whatever reason. The age gap is not a factor. And you know, it makes sense that there's an age gap, but it's not proven so maybe it's not true, and then you're going to go and make dramatic changes and radical changes without that data. So I'm just curious how Rav Moshe Hillel, you know, what his response is to that. And, uh, you know, I, some people wonder, is there, are there other options? What if What if we got all the Shatchanim, the professional Shatchanim together, the professionals, and said, listen, only set up girls above a certain age and only set up boys. Um, well, they can't only set up boys below a certain age, but they can at least only set up girls above a certain age and essentially, you know, strongly urge the girls, the girls' parents. Now, it doesn't work in the sense that you'd have issues because if some girls are waiting till they're older, till they're 21 or 22 to start dating, and then some girls say, oh, you know what? I'm going to just get dated at age 19 and I'm going to network with amateur Shadchanim, with friends, with neighbors. So maybe there's just no way to really structure that and enforce that. But I'm just curious if they would actually work with the Shadchanim and basically, instead of making it about the yeshiva system, just focus on the Shachalim directly and tell the Shachalim, listen, if you would focus on this age, then that would really either solve the problem or do a lot to stem the problem, do a lot to m- minimize the problem. So look, it's systemic. Some Somehow the system has to be... Revamped, and amazingly, it took a very long time to even get to this point because Nussi has been sort of screaming about this. Nussi has been on the front lines of this the age gap for over fifteen years and trying to close the age gap. And they, like I said, they have accomplished a lot because certainly it's much more common for boys and girls to date closer in age than it was when Nussi began fifteen years ago. I also I've wondered this for a long time: what if we just change the system? And look, this wouldn't alleviate or solve the problem, but I think it would help r- relieve a lot of the stress. And the, and the stress on the girl's family specifically. Cause there are stories about girls waiting by the phone, girls' families who don't get read a lot of shidduchim. Some families are, let's call it more high, high profile or more on people's radars. Some are less. Sometimes there's no obvious reason. Sometimes it's cause they're out of town or logistical reasons. What if in nowadays the way it works is for the most part, the boy says yes and then the girl gets read the shidduch after the boy gives a yes. So it all starts with the boy. The boy's family, let's call it, is in total control. Putting the numbers aside, what if it went the opposite way where the, the system were switched so that you go to the girl's side first and the girl has to say yes before you go to the boy and the boy is the one kind of sitting there and waiting by the phone? Would that give girls a little bit more leverage? Would that alleviate a lot of the stress where girls feel like their families feel like it's very passive and they get forgotten and you know a lot of the stress is on them and they're the ones kind of sitting, waiting, hoping, uh, and they need people to be thinking of them as opposed to being in more control. And people feel like boys have more control over the process. Well, what if we flipped that, literally just flipped the script and made it that the girls are the ones in control of the process? Would it solve the entire problem? Obviously not. What would be the downside? I think, like I said, it would alleviate stress. It would help the girls. You know, I, I don't see how it could hurt in any way. And at least it could alleviate the stressful and emotional impact, even if it doesn't actually fix the numbers. I'm curious why nobody brings that up. Because it seems to me like something at least that should be entertained or at least make it 50-50. Right now, the entire process is weighted and leveraged in one direction, not the other. And nobody kind of has ever been able to explain to me, you know, why that should be. All right. Like I said, the bakery in West Orange, New Jersey, that refused to provide Rainbow Pride themed cupcakes to a local Jewish, Jewish facility. And now Jewish groups, some Jewish groups, obviously not from Jewish groups, but like reformed Jewish groups, secular Jewish groups are outraged. And they're actually, some are actually boycotting or called for a boycott of this bakery. One of them, one big Jewish group in New Jersey called for a boycott and then retracted. And this is so twisted. And this is very, very disturbing and disgraceful that this upstanding bakery, this bakery that did the right thing and took the high road. Uh, is looked at as somehow being immoral and looked at as somehow being intolerant. And I just want to read you, there was an op-ed by Jeffrey Tobin, and Je- Jeffrey Tobin is not from, but uh, he's the editor-in-chief of uh, the JNS, the Jewish News Syndicate, and you know, he's very conservative, politically conservative, and he wrote, quote, A kosher bakery in West Orange, New Jersey is highlighting the fact that the right to refuse to produce services for immoral causes, and I'm paraphrasing him, can create difficult dilemmas for Jewish communities. Essentially, religious-owned companies have a huge dilemma, While all those concerned understand the baker has the law on his side, reform and conservative groups and even the local Jewish federation seem to be prepared to ostracize him, meaning the owner of this bakery, for his choice. By placing the bakery under a boycott, the Jewish Federation of Greater Metro West New Jersey was making a statement about its concept of what is and what is not consistent with the values of the Jewish community. The decision was no doubt popular with the majority of that community, which is likely not orthodox and views opposition to pride events as uh, being in... Beyond the boundaries of normative behavior in contemporary American and Jewish society, but can any federation that draws such a line which designates a significant percentage of Orthodox Jews as being beyond the pale, do so without violating its prime mission to bring Jews together? If it is prepared to take such a stand, can it in good conscience be said to represent the interests of the entire Jewish community? And this is Yitzi Mattel, the owner of the West Orange Bake Shop. He canceled orders. From this conservative Jewish facility in Milburn who wanted a rainbow decorated cake and cookies to celebrate Pride Month and they wanted rainbow cupcakes for a youth group and the bakery said no. By the way, he gave them baked goods at a discount. The leader of this Jewish, this conservative facility that wanted the Pride cupcakes gave a sermon, delivered a sermon, said, quote, I believe humans are created in the image of God with a variety of potential gender identities. With the possibility of gender fluidity, and he defended pride as a reasonable overcorrection to the past history of discrimination against the LGBTQ community by religious and social authorities. So again, they're turning this into like somehow the from the Orthodox, the ones who take a moral high ground, are the bad guys, and it, it's it's just it's amazing how sometimes Rachmanalatlan Jews, not from Jews, um, can be their own can be our own worst enemy, can be the ones who do the most harm, and in an email. Metro West Jewish Federation Executive Vice President and CEO uh, Dov Ben Shimon circulated a memo to his staff that the organization would not purchase goods from the bakery in the future. Once that decision was made public, Ben Shimon got a lot of criticism and backlash that a a Jewish federation, of all things, supposedly supposed to be representing Jewish values, would ostracize and ban and boycott a kosher baker who was following Jewish law. So Ben Shimon... He actually retracted. He retracted. He said it wasn't the official policy to boycott. And he said the decision was made in haste. And this is the issue. The issue is we have Jewish groups and we have Jewish activists who are making it their mission to spread immorality. And they view Torah Judaism and Yiddishkeit as the enemy. And they're on a mission, They're like almost on a jihad, like to destroy the fabric of Torah and Yiddishkeit as opposed to respecting the fact that we're the ones carrying on the Messiah. So it's very frightening. It's very disturbing. They say they want unity, and it's the exact opposite. They want division. They want to infiltrate our community, force us to accept and conform to their moral behavior, and they're influential, and they can make things very difficult. They're strategizing. They're trying to infiltrate schools, yeshivas, businesses. And uh, in addition to boycotts, you know, they could actually file lawsuits. And they, they report us to the government sometimes, and they cause all sorts of issues with us by reporting things to the government that are not even true, and that cause all sorts of investigations and problems. So it's very, very, very damaging, and I'm worried that if we don't do something about it and figure out how to be smart about this, and maybe there is no solution, but at least we have to at least work on attempting to find a solution, because this is going to potentially keep getting worse, and they will keep infiltrating uh, our community and trying to really tear us apart, All right, that's going to do it uh, for today, and we will see you next time.